0: didn't see them on the way in, you can grab one of these prayer cards on your way out uh, and it, put that somewhere that you'll see it, maybe on your desk at work, uh, maybe on your mirror uh, where you get ready in the mornings, but, but put that somewhere that you will remember to pray often uh, for Cody and Margaret and Josiah and Charlotte and Levi. Uh, and we are excited to have uh, Cody and Margaret and the rest of the family with us this morning uh, Cody is going to come in just a second and, and speak to us and preach God's word to us. Um, just a little bit, because I asked somebody earlier, how, how do you introduce somebody that the church knows better than you do? Uh, so I'm not going to try and tell you a whole lot of who Cody is, because you know Cody better than I do. Uh, but Cody has been serving as an elder at Emmanuel Baptist Church uh, with Matthew and, and the others there that we have been able, uh, fortunate Blessed to be able to help support. Uh, He's been there for several years, serving as an elder. And he and his family are soon moving to uh, Nairobi, Kenya. Uh, And the plan is currently for them to go in in January. And uh, I'll let him speak more about those things. Uh, But we're excited to have him with us today, uh, to have the opportunity to hear from him, to hear God's word from him, and hear about their plans from him. We are taking up a special love offering to help support them uh, in their service and in their, in their mission work there. Uh, and as we've seen the last few weeks as we've gone through 3rd John, uh, that is the sort of thing that we ought to do. Uh, I present to you a brother who is a trustworthy teacher of God's Word, who is uh, sharing it and dividing it well, who is going out for the sake of the name of the Lord Jesus. And, and John tells us that when we find those individuals going to do God's work, that we ought to support them. And so we want to support them by prayer. Take one of these cards, pray for them. We want to support them by letting them know that we care for them, uh, reaching out to them, staying in touch with them. But we also want to support them financially because that's extremely important as well. So uh, if you, uh, I'll remind you again at the end, but there are some envelopes on the back table on this side of the sanctuary, your left, that you can put your offering in, um, and we'll know that that goes to them, or in the foyer, where you came in, if you came in the front doors, there's a large basket. And if you put it in there, uh, you can just make it out to Mount Zion Baptist Church, but if you put it in that basket or in one of those envelopes, we will know that that is to go to Cody and his family. Uh, So, Cody, I'd like to pray for you, and then we're going to let you come, brother. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much, Lord, that that a young man that, that was raised here, Father, that has family here, Lord... That we can see the development in his life, Lord, as you, as you took him from the point of being lost to being saved and making him one of your children. And, Lord, a, a regenerate newborn person. Father, and then to see your calling on him to, to teach the word, and then to teach the word overseas, and then eventually to... Receive and accept the calling from you to go and to do that full time in Nairobi, Kenya. Father, we're thankful for Cody's willingness, for Margaret and the family's willingness to go and to serve in that capacity. Father, we do pray that you would help them to find many people of peace and to share the gospel well in Kenya. Father, we're thankful that many of us who will probably never go to Kenya can help support the sharing of the gospel there through supporting them. Father, thank you for giving us that opportunity this morning. So be with Cody as he comes and speaks, Lord, give him strength, allow him to be calm and to enjoy this time of being back with his family as we will always count him as our family father. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.
1: Good morning. Open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28 being a very familiar uh, passage. As you're turning there, I do just want to, one, thank you for allowing us to come uh, share with you, but also just want to thank you for all the many ways that you've uh, supported us over the years. You know, one, our church plant in New Orleans, but also uh, you know many of you, or even as a church, you've been supporting us financially, and many of you individually have been supporting us financially, but also, I know, through prayer. And as we're going to see, as we're going work through the Great Commission, uh, many of you have been showing me over the years what it means to live as a Great Commission Christian through sharing the gospel and through discipling you know, me whenever I was younger in Sunday school and in uh, youth ministry and just in, in Bible studies in your home. So I want to thank you very much for just the way that Mount Zion has been a, a blessing to, uh, to me and to my family. So let's read God's Word, Matthew chapter 28. We're going to look at the Great Commission, verses 18 through 20, but I'm going to start reading in verse 16. Matthew 28, starting in verse 16, the Word of the Lord says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. Let's pray and ask for the Lord's help as we study His Word. Father, we do. We praise You this morning because You have sent Your Son to live for us, to die for us. You've raised Him, and now we have hope of eternal life. So, Father, we praise just Your grace, Your kindness, Your mercy towards us. We thank You for giving us Your Word. We pray. I pray and ask, Father, that your spirit would move mightily through the preaching of your word. I pray that you would allow me to preach freely and, and clearly, keep my mouth from error. God, I pray that your, your spirit would convict where there needs to be conviction, would build up, would encourage where there needs to be encouragement, Father. Would you move to, to conform us to the image of Christ? Would you move to glorify your mighty name? got to pray and ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. So when I mentioned the phrase great commission, many of you didn't even need to turn to this passage in Matthew chapter 28, did you? You probably had it memorized since vacation Bible school when you were a little kid. And we as as Southern Baptists, really one of the cornerstones of who we are as a people, we are people of the book who are committed to the mission of Christ. That's what it means to be Southern Baptist. As I prepared this sermon, I thought about how these verses have uh, propelled me and, and my family to you know from Brookhaven to places like northern India and to places like New Orleans to help plant the church and Lord willing in January to move over to Nairobi, Kenya. If many of you know me and kind of know what we're doing, but if you don't, Lord willing, January we're going to move over and I'm going to teach at a seminary uh, there. In just outside Nairobi, Kenya, and as well help train pastors around the country of Kenya. So guys, particularly who can't afford seminary education, or maybe they didn't graduate from high school, so they can't officially get into college. We're going to go train them and equip them to be men of the word who lead churches well. So I've thought about how these, these verses have impacted us and so this morning, as, as we look through this passage, I really have two goals. One, I'm going to share, uh, just, I just want us to sit back and soak in the word. You might say, Cody, this is a Great Commission. I know it. What are you going to tell me new about it? Well, I'm, I'm, hopefully, I won't tell you anything new. If I say anything new about the Great Commission, that's probably not a good sign. But I want us to, to sit back and just saturate our minds afresh and see what Christ is calling his disciples to and what he's calling us to do. And secondly, I want to share a little more just about how these verses have led us and impacted us, leading us to work with an organization called Reaching and Teaching. So, as we unpack the passage, if you're a note-taker, we'll see three marks of a Great Commission church. It's kind of the heading, three marks of a Great Commission church. One, the church submits to the authority of Christ, makes disciples of Christ and rests in the abiding presence of Christ. So, submits to the authority of Christ, makes disciples of Christ, and three, rests in the abiding presence of Christ. All right, so let's dive in. First mark of a Great Commission church is submit to the authority of Christ. When most people consider this passage, their, the first thought jumps to what Jesus is telling his disciples to do. Right? That's probably what you think. Oh, I'm supposed to go make disciples. But what we are called to do in this passage is actually secondary. You see our, our commissioning is rooted in jesus 's declaration about who he is, and really declarations about himself that that serve as bookends in this passage. He begins with a statement about who he is and what he 's done, and he ends with a statement about who he is all right so let's let 's look first at this the first words that give the reason and the hope for our mission as a church. So verse 18, Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He declares that he possesses all authority. Now remember, what were the Jewish people looking for in a Messiah? They were looking for a very strong military or political leader to come in and to really take over, kick out the Romans, and usher in this kind of political reign. And it's, if you ever notice, reading through the Gospels, Jesus will do a miracle, and they'll ask, are, are you the Savior? Are you the one who's come? And he'll often do an interesting thing. He'll cast out a demon and say, hey, don't, don't tell anybody. right?" Have you ever noticed that in the Gospels? You might say, what, what in the world is he doing? He's doing these miracles... But he's saying, don't tell anybody. Well, you see, they had these false conceptions. Again, they were looking for a political or military ruler, and he's kind of pushing back against these false expectations, these false hopes. Why? Because this kingdom's different, isn't it? That They were looking... Uh, think about Daniel 7. You don't have to turn there. I'll read from Daniel 7, verses 13 and 14. It says, "...there came one like a son of man." And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. And so, again, they were thinking, okay, political, military, ruler. So he's actively fighting against those false expectations throughout his ministry. But here, after the cross, after the resurrection, he's finally telling them, yes, listen, it it is true. I am the one, and I've shown that. I've conquered the grave. The Jews were looking for that Messiah, that political or military leader, but Jesus' kingdom looks radically different, doesn't it? Glory came through shame. Kingship came through submitting to death. So Jesus possesses all authority in heaven on earth. He's defeated death. He's defeated sin. So you might say, well, why is Jesus' authority so important for us? Particularly when it comes to the mission of Christ. Why is he telling his disciples this here and now? Well, there are a few reasons why his... Authority is so important. First, this should give us confidence as we go out on mission for Christ, just as it was meant to give his disciples confidence. Because notice what it says, what the author includes about the disciples, right? He's on the mountain. This is after the resurrection. He's about to ascend to the right hand of the Father. And yet, this little comment about the disciples. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Isn't that crazy to think about all that they've gone through? Some doubt it. So His disciples, like us, are weak. We're fallen. right? We're not perfect. So Jesus wants to encourage them. Before He ascends to the right hand of the Father, He wants to give them hope. What is that hope? That He possesses all authority in heaven and on earth. And if that's true, and it is, then there is no power that can stand against them. There is no power that can stand against the expansion of Christ's kingdom. There is no power that's greater than his own. The resurrection is a demonstration of that reality, right? That not even death could hold him. Don't you see how that gives us confidence? We go out as messengers in a world that's full of sickness, that's full of fighting, that's full of political turmoil, that's full of terrorism. We go out as sheep among wolves. So what do we do? We just stay inside, we just hide and wait till Christ returns? No. We can go out amidst the dangers that we might face because we have a shepherd king who is greater than any adversary or adversity that we might face. We have hope to live on mission for Christ because he possesses all authority in heaven and on earth. So do you fear the consequences of of living as a messenger of Christ? Does it seem unsafe to you? Some people look at us and go, Cody, you're crazy. You're taking your family, three little kids, over to Africa. What are you doing, man? It's because Jesus possesses all authority in heaven and on earth. There's not one thing that's going to happen to a hair on their head outside of the sovereign control of Christ. We can go out boldly. We can go out confidently because he is in charge. But another reason why it's important that Jesus possesses all authority is that there are false gods, that there are kings that are receiving honor that only belong to King Jesus. I remember when, as many of you know, we uh, went with Matthew and several guys from here uh, to northern India. And I remember going into villages uh, where you, you would say, hey, have you ever heard of Jesus? And I go, no. No, who is that? But in every one of these villages would be some type of kind of hut thing, and inside would be Idols, where they people would bow down to them, would offer sacrifices to them. Their, their lives are oriented around these false gods. These little man made statues were receiving honor and allegiance and glory that only belonged to King Jesus. And so Jesus possesses all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, our job is to go tell people, hey, listen, you're you're living your life you know, um, bowing down to these things. And it might not be a man-made idol. It might be the idol of materialism. It might be the, um, the idol of just gr- going up the corporate ladder or just the idol of being liked by everybody. And we need to tell them, you're, you're bowing the knee to these things, but only Jesus deserves your deepest allegiance. He is the only one that possesses authority. He is the only one who can give you true hope and true joy and true satisfaction. That's why we need to live our lives on a mission for Christ, because Jesus possesses all authority, heaven on and earth. And brothers and sisters, I'm afraid we've lost sight of this tragedy. You might say, "Well, no, I, I'm, I, I'm concerned about people worshiping Jesus." But let me ask you this: Reflect on this question. What is it that stirs your heart more? And specifically, we live in a time of just incredible political turmoil, don't we? This, I'm, and I'm not getting on the political soapbox here. But ask yourself, do you feel it deep in your bones? more? Do you fret more over who is the next president of the United States? Is that really what shakes you, keeps you up at night? What makes you mad? Or the fact that billions around the world aren't bowing the knee to Jesus? Now, I'm not saying... We shouldn't care about political things. What I'm saying is, ask yourself, what is it that shakes you to the core more? And if it is earthly politics that keeps you up, that gets you more fired up, there's an allegiance problem there. There's a heart issue there. That maybe we aren't fully appreciating the one who possesses all authority in heaven and on earth. You see, our primary identity, we are those who belong to the kingdom of Christ. That, that's our fundamental identity. Regardless of where you're at on different social and political issues, where you're at, you know, what racial or ethnic background, we are fundamentally, if you're in Christ, you, that's where the core of your being is. You are a Christian. You are a part of the kingdom of Christ. But lastly, Jesus' statement about having all authority also brings a responsibility to us. If Jesus has all authority, then he also has the authority to dictate how we carry out his mission. You see, churches and mission agencies have all sorts of ideas about how to plant and grow churches. Some are biblical, many are not. You know, As we have planted our church in New Orleans, we've had all sorts of people saying, if you really want to grow the church, this is what you need to do. Now, you know, a lot of us root it in, like, good motivation. But it's not biblical, right? Jesus here, he has all authority in heaven and on earth, and he's going to tell his disciples, he's going to tell us, how do we go about building up the kingdom? All right? So let's start with the the first mark of a Great Commission church, is that you really accept and submit to the authority of Christ. Secondly, second mark. Make disciples of Christ. Since Jesus possesses all authority, we make disciples of Christ. And within these verses here in the Great Commission, there's really one main imperative, one main command. And that's to make disciples of Christ. Churches can get busy doing all sorts of good things, all sorts of good works. But the fundamental charge of churches, the fundamental task if you're a Christian in this room... That you should dedicate your life to making disciples. For some, like us, that might mean moving overseas. But it doesn't exclusive, that doesn't mean, oh, that's only for missionaries. No. This charge is for every single Christian to make disciples of Christ. Now, how do we make disciples? As I said, there's one command make disciples. But then there are three other words here, participles, that tell us how to go about making disciples. All right? Going, baptizing, and teaching. Going, baptizing, and teaching. So one, we go intentionally. The first means of carrying out the Great Commission is by going. If you've read through the Old Testament, you know <clears throat> a lot of the emphasis is on people being in the promised land, right? So they're to they're the be in the land, and the nations are looking into the land and seeing what it looks like to, for a people to be ruled by God. And to be taken out of the land is a bad sign of judgment, right? That's exile. In the New Testament and here, as Jesus is telling his disciples, now the emphasis is we're going. We're going to all the nations. And you read in Acts chapter 1, right? It's saying that you're going to be my witnesses, not just here, but around the whole world. So we are called to go intentionally. And to, to whom are we going? To all the nations. To all the nations. Right? We're we're thinking about, as we, and this means like all people groups. So think about it, and whenever we go to Kenya, we want to see, there are all sorts of little people groups with different languages and things like that. We want to see the kingdom spread to all of these people groups. But it's not restricted to international missions, brothers and sisters. We are called to go to all of those around us who need the gospel, especially those in our backyards. And it's actually more difficult, isn't it, it, to be a disciple maker really here around your home. Why? You can get on a plane and go be bold with evangelism in another country where you know people aren't going to see you. Like, I'm here for a week. If they think I'm an idiot, hmm, not a big deal. It's a whole other thing whenever you start going to coworkers, you start going to neighbors and saying, you need to repent and believe in the gospel. And Things start getting awkward, right? Start getting awkward at home. Start getting awkward in the office. But we are called to go intentionally. And what that means is going and everywhere the Lord takes us, we're saying, I'm here on mission for Christ. I'm in the office on mission for Christ. I'm in the classroom. I'm at my dinner table on mission for Christ. We have to ask ourselves, are we willing to take up that type of intentional, cross-bearing sort of life? That's what it means to go intentionally. So go, make disciples, baptizing them. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So as you're going, as we go intentionally, we boldly share the gospel of Christ and we wait for Christ to gather his people to himself. And you might think it odd here that he talks about baptizing instead of preaching. When you say, like, go, therefore, and preach, right? Well, if you think about the the way um, faith and baptism are so intertwined, especially in the New Testament, go read Acts. You always see these three things together. Preaching, repentance, and baptism. So as he's talking about go baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, there's really this assumption that there's going to be preaching and it's going to be a preaching of faith and repentance. right? Acts chapter 2, Peter comes and preaches on the day of Pentecost, preaches this killer sermon, and people are struck to the heart and they say, what can we do to be saved? What's he tell them? Repent baptized, right? Therefore, we're baptizing, and this really shows us the heart of our proclamation, that there's sin in the world, and there's a need for a new life. So we're, fun, we're not fundamentally in the business of giving men and women self-help tips. We're not, or neither should our outreach efforts, whether domestic or international, be exclusively about meeting physical needs. Notice the key there. I, did, I said exclusively. Meeting physical needs is very important. We actually see Jesus setting that example for us as well. But we are a people who know that the fundamental problem of this world is not a physical one, it's a spiritual one. So we must get to the point where we are preaching the gospel. We are calling people to repent and believe. This is tough, particularly in the Bible Belt, right? We're people here who have probably been raised knowing southern hospitality, southern kindness, politeness. And what does that look like? Well, probably if I saw you this morning and said, hey, how's it going? You would most likely respond by going, yeah, we're doing well. You might have had a train wreck of a morning this morning, right? Like you were in the car just telling your kids, be quiet. I'm going to wear you out, right? And you're going to get out of the car and go, yeah, we're doing great. This is you know, we're excellent. It's kind of the, the southern culture, right? So it gets really awkward awkward of what Jesus is calling us to. That we gotta get past the everything is great to going, nope, it's not. Everything's not great. Jesus actually tells us that. We're all broken, right? We're all not great. But Jesus has come to restore us, to fix our broken hearts. So, we must move past this niceness and move past the superficial level down to the nastiness of life, to sin. So, therefore, we are going and we are calling people to faith and repentance by the commissioned authority of Jesus the King. All right? But then we're also teaching. So, we're not just baptizing faithfully, but we're teaching comprehensively. So after we baptize, we don't stop there. We don't stop there. The last step in disciple-making is to teach the believers all that I have commanded you. That's what Jesus tells us. And this is often neglected when people think of the Great Commission. They think of the Great Commission and they just think conversions. Right? One missionary, even thinking a former missionary thinking about missions, has said this emphasis on, on the Great Commission has actually can produce a need for speed whenever it comes to missions. Now you say, what does that mean? Well, sadly, what will happen in many places, people will go into the vi- a village where people don't know Jesus, they'll preach, they'll have some people turn to Christ, and they'll go, okay, we've done our job here, and they're going to move on to the next village. And we need to be zealous to go preach where Christ is not named. But we can't neglect what Jesus calls his disciples to and calls us to. We're lopping off half of the Great Commission if we don't stay and do deep discipleship. We don't raise up men and women in the word of Christ to be fellow disciple makers. Now, why is this such an important aspect of missions? Let me give you some statistics about theological education around the world. Okay? Approximately 85% of pastors around the world have no theological training. Let me give you a slightly different perspective just to help you understand. Within the United States, there's about one theologically trained worker for every 235 people. Whenever you get outside of the United States, that number goes to one theologically trained worker for every 450,000 people. Right? That's astounding. And you say, well, what's the big deal there? Well, think about it. How can somebody shepherd a flock and and keep away wolves and identify wolves if nobody's even really just said, hey, this is a Bible, and taught them the storyline of Scripture? So I've been traveling to West Africa some over the last couple years and training pastors there. I helped start a training site in Monrovia, Liberia, which is just on the coast of West Africa. And our first uh, training that we did, we did a week long, just a quick survey of the Old Testament, just you know, just walking through the Old Testament with them, trying to show them like how does this connect to the New Testament? How's this? How was this pointing forward to Jesus? Pastors, they've been pastoring for, for decades, many of them. And they come up to us and said, nobody's ever shown this to us. I've never been taught this. And that's not because I'm a fantastic teacher. That's more an indictment on the lack of training that they have received. And it's the same story can be said over and over and over again that so many Christians in the world, and particularly pastors, have received basically no training. And you might say, well, yeah, Okay, you might have in mind a a seminary education, an MDiv. I'm not talking about an MDiv. I'm talking about like a a rich discipleship like I experienced in the context of this local church. I think about Sunday school teachers that I've had here. I think about the the many Bible studies that that we had in the summers at the Hollis' house. I'm talking about that level of discipleship that people would kill for around the world. And they don't have access to it. And many of it is because it's an indictment on the way that we do missions of not slowly and focusing on disciple making. We just want to focus on baptisms. And that's it. Because we can take pictures of that. It's hard to, to really quantify. Yeah, I taught somebody the you know the book of Acts this past week. That's hard to quantify. As opposed to we baptize 20 people. Right? But this is part of the Great Commission. This is what Christ is calling us to. And this is what we do with reaching and teaching. I help churches here in the States partner and take trips overseas uh, to train pastors. And then I'm going to move over and, and teach at a seminary and train pastors around Kenya. We ultimately want to carry out 2 Timothy 2.2, which says, What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust of faithful men who will be able to teach others also. We want to train up people who will carry the gospel whenever I'm dead and in the grave. That is what biblical missions is. So we must be those who are committed to carrying out the whole Great Commission. And every ministry of the church, ask yourself, are we teaching the whole counsel of God? But also, ask yourself, in our homes... In our homes, are you faithfully carrying out the Great Commission with those whom the Lord has trusted to you, your children? So don't think the Great Commission is just for some formal ministry at the church. It's not just for some trip overseas, it's for the dinner table. Are you reading the scriptures and instructing your children? That's what it means to be a Great Commission church, that there are parents in the church who are taking this seriously. Unless you say, well, Cody, you, you don't know what my home is like. Listen, I, I don't know if you've seen my kids, three little kids. It's wild. Our youngest just turned two. Our oldest will turn eight in January. All right? So things around the dinner table can get kind of crazy. So I'm not thinking about everybody sit down, we're going to have a worship service right here, an hour-long worship service. No. If you want to know how it works in our house, well, every day at breakfast, we'll sit... No, I say every day, Let me, unless you think it's, we're too, too sanctified here. If, if, we think, if we hit four or five days a week, it's good. Okay? Sit down at the dinner table or breakfast table. Eat. They're eating cereal or whatever it is, and I'll open up a Bible, maybe read a chapter. Maybe, if things are really crazy read 10 verses, you know, just a little section of a chapter, and then I may give comments about it, might not. And then we always pray for somebody in our church, and we pray for a missionary. That's what it looks like. But you know what? Just 10, 15 minutes, 4 to 5 times a week, we're trusting in what God says about His Word that's effective. And it's the slow the slow drip affecting cultivating faith over the years. So brothers and sisters, if you say, I know I should take it more seriously, start small. Tonight at the dinner table or before you put them to bed or tomorrow at breakfast, read a verse. Go back and read these verses. And then just pray for somebody in your church and pray for a missionary. Grab one of our prayer cards. We'd love for you to pray for us as um, as you gather together. But be disciple makers in your home. So, in your mission trips as well, you ask, you're ask, saying, are we ensuring that men and women are receiving deep discipleship? So, first mark, submitting to the authority of Christ. Two, making disciples of Christ. The third mark, rest in the abiding presence of Christ. You might hear that and go, that's a big task. Think about these disciples who are fallen men, and Jesus is telling them, hey, guess what? You've been with me the last three years. You're about to go out to the world. And I want you to go preach. And I want you to go baptize. And they know what's coming. That's going to be hard. And they go, man, Lord, this is too much for us. Well, Jesus ends with these comforting words. This promise that anchors our souls when the waters get tough in our mission. He says, And behold... I am with you always to the end of the age. He promises them and He promises us that He will be with us forever until He finally returns to do away with sin and the kingdom of this world. How is He continually with His people? After all, He's about to ascend to the right hand of the Father. What's He mean? Well, He's with us in a few different ways. One, He's with us by sending His Spirit to dwell within our hearts. That the Spirit of Christ takes the Word of Christ and implants it in our heart and allows us, gives us the grace to carry out Christ's will for us. So He's with us by Spirit. Secondly, He's with us, as Hebrews 7 says, as He always lives to make intercession for us. That He's, he's speaking to the Father on our behalf. Keep them. And third, He's with us through the gift of the church, His body. Jesus did us a favor by saving us and commanding us to be a part of a local church, because it's through fellowship with the local church that we experience the fellowship of Christ. Maybe you you really felt this in a a strong way during COVID. I'm sure many of you weren't able to gather. You know, some of you did like online, Facebook Live. But even after the church started gathering, maybe just out of you know, caution, you didn't gather with the local church. And you started feeling the effects of isolation, don't you? You start really missing gathering with the people of God. Why? Because God has made you to gather with His people. He's called you. He's, his Spirit is really putting in your heart. You're called to be a part of a body. You're called to give your life to join with the local church. What a great gift we have, brothers and sisters. What, what faith, what hope that we have to carry out the great commission. That Jesus did not leave us alone. Rather, he's always with us. So do you feel inadequate? Do you feel like, I'm just going to mess things up? You don't know me, Cody. I can't talk to anybody about the gospel. You can, by the power of Christ. Because you have the spirit of Christ within you. Look to Jesus. Ask Jesus for boldness. Ask Jesus for clarity. Ask Jesus for opportunities to share and to make disciples. So as we kind of start landing the plane here, let's consider the responsibility of the Great Commission. But let us also consider the glorious reality that the sovereign king of the universe has saved you and commissioned you as a herald for his kingdom. Isn't that glorious? He can save a people for himself however he wants to. But he's decided to save us and to use us as his mouthpieces. We who who are sinful, we who are messed up. He says, don't worry, I'm going to give you grace. I'm going to equip you to do it. What a glorious opportunity that we get to have here as we go throughout our days as disciple-makers. You have to ask yourself, how can I live this out this week? Maybe there's a friend or coworker that you need to share the gospel with. Maybe there's an individual in your life that you can just sit down and read the Bible with, meet twice a month, and say, hey, during lunch, we're going to get together, we're going to spend 30 minutes reading together, praying together. That's a small way, but that's, that's what it means to be a Great Commission church. Maybe it's simply through starting a routine of reading the Bible and praying with your family. Or maybe you need to step back, and you're even here this morning, and you say, I've actually never submitted to the authority of Christ. That I'm actually, I, I see that I'm actually walking according to, to something else. Like, my heart really bows the knee to being liked by others. Or just, I just wanted to be the, the, really the master of my own domain. And you've never repented and looked to Christ and cried out to Him for forgiveness. You say in your heart right now, no, I'm good. If you say that, that's a lie that's going to send you straight to hell. We are called to bow the knee, to look to Christ, to repent and look to Him. To embrace Him. He commands you to repent and to cry out for forgiveness. I also want to share uh, ways you can be partnering with us as we head to Kenya. As Zach mentioned, there are prayer cards in the back. Uh, I would love for you all to grab one of those. On the front, you'll see a picture, a family picture On the back, you'll see just a few points of, of like, prayer requests for us. I would love for you to kind of work that into a routine of regularly praying for us. That is, uh, we can can do all the logistical planning and go over there. If we don't have the prayer of God's people, then we're we're just going to be spinning the wheels, right? We need your prayers. God hears your prayers, so please, we need prayer partners. Uh, we send out a monthly newsletter. I forgot to bring a, a sign-up sheet, uh, so a couple different ways. If you give Zach, it's cool, your email, or you'll see my email on the back of that prayer card. You can send me an email, just, and I can add you to a monthly newsletter that keep. Many of you are already on that. Um, just keep up with kind of what the Lord's doing in our family and through our ministry and continuing ways you can pray for us, okay? Second way, and I, I want to thank you all. Your church has so graciously given to us financially, partnered with us financially um, as a church and as individuals, uh, so generously, so, finan- uh, so graciously. Uh, I really, yeah, I'm so thankful. And the Lord's been so gracious uh, through so many of you. If you're in a spot where you say, you know, you want to give towards the special offering, that's fantastic. We would welcome that. We're close to being 100% funded, and so then we can buy our tickets and really nail down the exact date we're going over. If you say, you know, I would like to give financially, like monthly, or, or give something annually first, give fundamentally to your church, give to Mount Zion. That's what it means to be a member here, that you're going to give chiefly and primarily to this local church but if you want to give above and beyond that uh, on the back you'll see uh, an address on the back of the prayer card you'll see a place you can go sign up Um, if that's too confusing for you just ask me and i can give you some other directions as well so just pray that we the lord would give us we need about five hundred dollars a month left in in support which we're very close and we even have some churches or one church voting on it today so you can pray that that would go well. Um, but regardless of how the Lord leads you, you know that basket back there could be dry. Nothing in it. And I'm so, still so thankful for all of you. I'm thankful for how you've taught me the word over the years. I, I look back on my time as a teenager here, and I say the Lord did a special work here during those years. And I think that's demonstrated by a number of just faithful men and women you've raised up and sent out of this place and are serving across the country, right? And so I'm so thankful for the way the Lord has used you to be a blessing to me. And my prayer is that Mount Zion Baptist Church would be a great commission church are dedicated to making disciples here and everywhere the Lord would lead you. Let me pray for you. Father, we do praise You. I thank You for Your Word. I thank You that we have the Spirit of Christ within us, that the Spirit goes forth through the preaching of Your Word, that though I'm a very weak preacher, that we trust that You are not a weak God, and Your Word is not weak. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. So, Father, we pray that You would cultivate faith, You would cultivate uh, a boldness in our hearts to go and live on mission for You, that this church would be marked by unity, and specifically, a unity in the gospel. And that you would give them many opportunities to share the gospel around here. And that through Mount Zion, there would be other churches planted. There would be believers who come to know you. There would be men and women who were who are brought up uh, through Sunday school, through children's church, through vacation Bible school. And Father, they would go out and be faithful church members and faithful church pastors and missionaries and moms and teachers around the world. So, Father, I pray that your hand would be upon Mount Zion, that you would use them for the building up of your kingdom and for your glory. God, I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.